remember, Bill, that we've been on shows together probably 20, 15, 20 years ago? You don't. Do uh, was it on Bubble Vision? No, it was on CNBC. Well, that's Bubble Vision. What's Bubble Vision? <laughs> Bubble. I, I started calling CNBC Bubble Vision in the late 90s. That's what I call CNBC. Bubble well, it's Vision. It's fantastic. I get it. And I love that. And your book was about Greenspan and Bubbles, right? Well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to love this conversation. I'm Jim Urio. This is the Futures Edge podcast. As always, Bob Iaccino, brains behind the operation, co-host, executive producer. We have Bill Fleckenstein, who I've known for a long time. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I, I think you think, I just was going through your Twitter feed to get some things to think about. And I think that we are on the same page about a lot of things. Do you consider yourself mostly libertarian or do you, do you side with one party? Not that we judge. Mostly libertarian in that, from a philosophical standpoint, i.e. live and let live and try to stay out of other people's stuff when you can. Having said that, uh, I'm very anti-censorship huh, and big brother and all that. So the Democratic Party is a complete joke. And of course, the Republican Party is only slightly better since they don't do anything about what these other knuckleheads do. So, you know, they like to talk righteously, but they don't do much. So we right. have two completely inept political parties, regretfully. I spoke, at, I spoke at a Republican conference last year sponsored by the conservative radio station around here. And I was on stage and I, I said, the one thing I, I want to make sure is my, my goal is to defeat the Democrats and get the current iteration of Democrats out of power. But as soon as we do that, I'm turning on you guys too. You guys are not, you know, I don't even think you guys are the perfect party either. Half of them laughed. Half of them was like, really? <laughs> We're paying this guy to be here, huh? Name one uh, important person in the power structure that stood up for free speech. And, you know, all this that's got unearthed um, in the Twitter files from Berenson's suit. And we can go on and on. I mean, you don't want to make this about politics. No, no, but of course. Nobody who is supposedly on the side of anti-censorship uh, in the Republican Party has done, done done much about it. So, I mean, they're in some ways they're worse because they have to know better, you know? Right. Yeah. And that just, that's, we'll start talking about markets here, people, I swear to God. One thing I want to point out is that one of the reasons that Bobby and I are here, one of the reasons we're doing it, and it, it is that, you know, I've been kind of canceled from mainstream media for my um, inability to go along with uh, the narrative, which I'm proud as shit of. I mean, I have no no regrets at all. But again, I want to destroy mainstream media. And I'm hoping that these sort of outlets do that. They're doing a really good job of destroying themselves. They don't need much help. <laughs> well, I'll, if you know me, I'll take credit for it either way. So right, okay, that's just kind of the way I operate. But before we go to your, uh, I know, I, I know you as the author and you've been, it's, it's still, is it Fleck Capital? Is that what you uh, are? That's what you run? Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, I run a, um, I manage a small partnership for myself and some friends and family. Uh, and I, I, on my website, I, I write a column about the market and I uh, answer questions. It's $120 a year and the proceeds and then some all go to end up in charity anyway. So it's I'm not really trying to do it to hustle people. Good for you. Okay, well, let's begin markets, Bobby, unless you got anything non-market related still left, Bobby. No, no, I don't. Um, I quit mainstream media before they could cancel me. So I guess we're all on the same page. <laughs> uh, Bill, the last part about that, my ex interview was so fun. They said, just because something's true, that doesn't mean you can say it on air. And I said, well, you know, of course it does. And then I said to them, I said, wait a second. I, I think I know where this is going. I'm not saying my integrity isn't for sale, but I am saying you're two zeros too short. I thought that was funny. They did not. They didn't think it was funny at all. Right. So I still giggle about that. Rarely do you come up with the right words in those situations. But anyway, 2023 was an interesting year. I personally believe that for the most part, the only game in town is the cost of money, Fed accommodation, you know, throw in a little bit of, uh, of profligate spending on the fiscal side that's fueling assets. I do believe we are on the verge of some level of recession, but I don't think that has to be terrible for stocks. What are your thoughts? I, I don't disagree with what you said. Recession question is trickier than usual because of uh, recessions being defined as contractions in real GDP 
and now we've got high nominal GDP and also high inflation. If we are experiencing a recession, which I don't think we're in one now, um, it, it would feel different than the last couple have, which were both both precipitated, both the 01 stock market wipeout, which was precipitated by the prior stock bubble, and the 08 collapse, which was precipitated by the real estate bubble and the collapse in lending standards. Both of those felt, you, you, I mean, you could feel them right away. This is coming about differently. And, and while I, I think the odds are that we're, we'll end up in a recession, it might continue to feel differently for a while just because of the inflation component and all the uh, fiscal stimulus. I, I think it just makes the, the landscape a little more confusing than usual. Bill, do you think that the average person knows what a recession feels like? I mean, and the reason I ask that question is people, you know, you see a lot of people out there and you talk to a lot of people who are like, what do you mean we're not in a recession? Things are awful for me. And they just don't really have a kind of a grasp of it. Uh, I've gone along for a while saying I think there's going to be a recession just because the inversion has been too deep for too long and I, I don't want to fade that. But I have also said, who cares? Um, and the reason I say that is because I have sort of a model as to when I would get back in equities if a recession began. It would be really shortly after I thought we were in one. So do you think people know, number one, do you think from an investment standpoint, how much does it matter at this stage? Uh, if you lost your job, you know, you're in a, you know it feels yeah. like a recession to you for sure. Yeah. We're in a period of stagflation. I think we've been in one. I think that was the highest probability outcome after they kept rates at zero too long and did QE too long and, and, and ballooned out the deficit, the budget deficit, I mean. So I think we're in a stagflationary consequence of that. And depending on where you sit, it, it may feel worse for you, depending on your business or the kind of activities you're involved in, uh, than for others. So I think so, I, and I think that's kind of the nature of stagflation, where there's not any real growth, there's not any real collapse. There's pockets of weakness, some pockets of kind of okayness, not not really necessarily a, a lot of strength. And there's, uh, I think, the, uh, the what's particularly unusual about the environment environment we're in now is that. Uh, I don't believe the stock market is the leading indicator of economic activity as it was for most of my career. And I believe that because of the size of the Vanguard, um, BlackRock uh, retirement passive bid that is in the market every day. Um, Mike Green is the one who is the one that brought it to my, where I learned about it and I've paid attention to it since. So I think if you think back to what happened when the stock bubble burst in late two, late two, early 2000, but then rolled over in the fall of 2000, equity market acting poorly and stocks getting hammered on bad news impacts people's psychology. And it, it's, a, it's a feedback loop for the businesses themselves, right? So then the market's going down and that gets people's attention and they re read the news differently. So I think in, in sort of the it's sort of reflexivity on the downside and 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 that was also true in spades in 08 as the financial system was you know almost on the was literally on the brink of extinction thanks to the idiocy of the people in the investment so-called investment banks who owned all that bad paper so in those when those bubbles burst you could you could know that they were driving the economy and then the feedback loop into the market and and then back in the economy and the news it all made it pretty clear what was happening. So if we have this passive robot that insists on buying stocks because employment is still good enough, because and, and so we're matching, we're putting money in for people's retirement plans, then the market acts differently than the news would have caused it to act in the past. Consequently, there's this, you know, you know, the market goes up and the idiots on Bubble Vision yap about, you know, how far from a new high up five days in a row. But the news cycle, I mean, even though we all agree the mainstream media is pathetic, the, the, the news cycle and the information from the stock market action is muted. And I really think this has kind of warped those of us that are professionals that have done this for a decent chunk of our lives, how we read things based on the action of the tape and, 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 and individual companies, uh, it has gotten so cloudy that I think that's really made it much more difficult. The passive bid has made it much more difficult to navigate this period than it otherwise would be. Um, that's kind of a long answer, but that's kind of my thesis for the moment is to you have to, you have to take that into consideration, figure out 
how that's warping things. So to just seize on to one point of what you said, and I think I got it, is it more important the amount of money actually going into these uh, bio-only mutual funds run by Vanguard, State Street, BlackRock, et cetera, than the actual number of people employed as we've seen the shift from full to part-time that's gone on the last, say, three or four months in the non-farm payrolls data? Those people aren't likely putting money in their 401ks, right? Probably, or more said differently, the corporation is not probably putting money in the 401ks for the part-time employers. I believe that to be the case, but I don't want to hold myself out as an expert on this topic because Mike Green really is the expert. And so mostly what I know is from what I've read from him and sort of dug up on my own. I don't think, I don't think anyone knows. I think Mike would say the same thing that, that I don't think we know exactly what level of employment or how far it needs to drop to, to have the flows not be big enough to hold the tape up. Now, right. we all know, having been around markets, is as you bid something up, the marginal, the size of the quote-unquote marginal dollar you need to keep them up be, tends to get to be more, right? Right. And the, the more the, pa- like, I think that the passive, that's the, the, this passive uh, retirement bid is... 50, 55% of, 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 of daily activity. Now that's a lot. Now over the next 10%, if it gets into the mid sixties from based on what I, I, I understand from Mike, it'll, 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 it'll have an even bigger impact. But the flip side should be that as you get more dependent on that bid, it may, it ought to need to diminish less before it starts to impact the downside. For, for, for people who aren't familiar with this, when we when I say the passive bid, or when Mike says that, we're not talking about ETFs. We're talking about employment target date retirement funds, of which corporate America—that's basically all that they they do nowadays. So anyway, um, and I and, and I, it just makes it so much harder to try to read the tape and and have the the market behave relative to the news in ways that we understand those of us that have been around for a while. Bobby, over the last two and a half years, it seems like everything has gone so high up in price. Do you ever ask, why the heck is my wireless bill so unbelievably high? Absolutely. I mean, what are we paying all that money for? Is it speed, coverage, data, access to 5G, unlimited talk, text, mobile hotspots? It's a lot. Well, the Futures Ed podcast is partnering with Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers all of these features that you just mentioned for as low as $15 per month. They're built on the nation's largest 5G network and keep costs low because they sell direct to you online. They cut out the retail stores and the salespeople. We've all seen those annoying stores in the strip malls. Yeah, and so people have to ask themselves, why do you want to pay more? for access to the exact same network. Go to mintmobile.com slash futures edge. Also linked in the podcast description to get premium wireless for $15 a month. My family's changed. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that struck me, Jimmy, is our cell phone bill, our mobile phone bill was actually three times my first car payment, which was a beautiful electric blue Iroxy Camaro with the 5.7 liter engine. You know, I wish I still had that thing. How am I supposed to follow that here? Okay, so <laughs> tell them now, how hard is it to switch service? Because Big Wireless wants you to believe it's really, really hard. Switching to Mint is super easy thanks to digital eSIM cards, which most phones have now anyway. You can sign up and activate immediately right on your phone from the comfort of your couch, your desk, your bed, whatever. If your phone doesn't have an eSIM, Mint will ship you a new SIM card for nothing. Okay, up to this point, the big wireless companies wanted you to think that they were the only option. Don't be duped. And now you're gonna receive an additional three months free if you purchase a three month plan using our link, mintmobile.com slash futures edge, also linked in the podcast. This offer's available on all plans, including the unlimited plan. Not a conspiracy theory. Go to our partner, mintmobile.com slash futures edge to get premium wireless for as low as $15 a month. Buy three months, get three months free. Go there now. Twice now you mentioned the bubbles, the tech bubble, and then you mentioned the real estate bubble too, which I think is a fascinating topic. One of the things that I've been saying over the last few years is that when you look at those two things in a vacuum, one of the defining characteristics was an over-leveraged class of people who shouldn't have been over-leveraged. I'm not talking about hedge funds being, you know, getting a margin call. I'm talking about mom and pop margin calls. 
I look at the landscape now and people over the last couple of years, like, where's the next bubble? I actually don't see the next bubble. I think that as what you're saying about pushing up the stock market with passive flows, if that turns, you know, I think there could be a significant break, but the significant break that came after the real estate market was people who just absolutely had to deleverage on their real estate holdings. That drove the economy into the dirt. It drove the stock market down 60%. Do you believe that this time we're a little more insulated from something like that? So there are two, if, if working backwards, well, let's go with the stock bubble. The stock bubble, if you recall, before it burst, there were vast swaths of the population who thought they could stay at home and day trade. Remember, because they made it look so easy. Yeah. And so when the stock bubble burst, it hurt those people, it, but it also hurt corporate America because a lot of what was leading the charge higher was were tech stocks, and they were selling all that equipment into the tech startups and the internet wannabes. And also, remember, we had the Y2K concerns. So when, I, when, that, when that bubble burst, it was relatively easy to see how the outcome was going to play out. I mean, not precisely, you know, the, the rally back in tech into the fall of 2000 was pretty maddening if you're running a short fund like I was. But whereas in 08, that was, a, that was a whole different beast because yes, a lot of people did lever themselves up. But the real problem was the fact that the, the people that originated the paper, you know, Merrill Lynch, Lehman, Bear Stearns, leveraged the snot out of it and, you know, couldn't take, uh, you know, when, when you're levered, 30 or 40 to one, a three or 4% move, you're toast, right? And a lot of that paper was, you know, down 30% in a heartbeat. So the financial system was about to come to an end, really, in 08. But both of those was easy to, I don't mean piece of cake, but it was possible to figure out how it was liable to play out. This is different because we have, there's been all sorts of crazy behavior and, you know, some people have called this a mother of all bubbles because of what happened in cryptos and NFTs. There hasn't been an unwind. There hasn't been a real market unwind. Yes, we had one briefly in 20. But there again, you could in January of 20, you could have seen that there was this crazy virus that we didn't know much about that it looked to be pretty problematic and what it was going to mean for things. And the stock market was oblivious until, you know, finally it got the memo you know, six weeks later, again, I think that was the passive bid. It was just buying them, buying them, buying them. And then enough selling came in and swamped it. And, you know, we had what we had. There's been enough crazy behavior that we could, that we would have had some sort of a bust in the stock market already or a bear market for sure. And we end up with this taffy pull where, you know, you get these seven companies that, you know, depending on how well you like them as businesses, they're certainly crazily valued. And then you've got a lot of average stocks that can't get out of their own way that might be reasonably priced, you know. So I, I, I think, again, it's a, it's an extremely tricky period. And I think it's because of what the passive bid has done to things. I don't believe that that behavior was so sound. We don't we, 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 we wouldn't be due for some sort of a, a, a backlash to that. It's just that hard to get the backlash going when the stock market can't go down. I was actually asked uh, kind of a funny anecdote. I was asked to. Uh... I was at a fund of funds at the time. I was part of the investment committee, and I was asked if we, were, we would consider investing in principal guaranteed uh, paper. And I said, well, what do you mean it's principal guaranteed? guaranteed he said, well, we estimate you're going to get between 3 and 8%, but the principal is guaranteed. I said, Bye. by who? They said, by Lehman Brothers. <laughs> so that's not really, I swear to God. They said, that's not really guaranteed. I said, well, it's not guaranteed at all. He goes, ah, Lehman Brothers isn't going to go out as bit. Exact words. Lehman Brothers not going out of business. Yeah. Exact mm -hmm. words. As, yeah. It's so like ridiculous in, in, as a, at looking back at it now. So question to you. Nothing bothers me more than when I hear people casually talking about the situation that Main Street is in and comparing it to sort of the data and the situation that Wall Street is in. And it drives me crazy when I hear people say that, you know, your average person, actually the administration said it uh, last week, the average person needs to be educated on the economic data so they can know that things are okay. And you know what their experience is, is not really true, what, they're, what is right in front of their face. It just sounds like it, it just giant kabuki theater where nothing you're seeing is real. What's your opinion on the Main Street economy? And then what's your opinion on Wall Street? Uh, let's just call it for the next month, quarter, whatever you're comfortable talking and about. And please throw in your opinions on the economic data that we've seen and its reliability too in that question. <laughs> Well, let's take, we'll go in reverse order. Apparently, this cycle, 
more than others, everything hangs on the employment data, which comes from the BLS and we get non-farm payroll once a month. I'm sure you fellows were totally aware of the situation, but you know, the, we, the revisions are all down. The, 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 we, we, get an, we get a payroll report and it, no, jobs are slightly better than expected and they do the big hurrah, but the revisions are all south. What appears to have been keeping the data on the, on the inline side of things has been the birth death model, which is just the BLS attempt to you know, guess new businesses being formed. That, that model is always wrong at inflection points. So this cycle is not any different. I, I think the single worst data that gets published that people you know, speculate on is the non-farm payroll report. A, it's a lagging indicator and B, it's wildly revised. But that's the game that they've chosen to play. The other data, I think, has been on the soggy side. The ISM data, you know, you can I mean when a company like Apple, which everyone reveres, you know, has no sales growth or, or down comps for a year, um, either they're in big trouble or that says something about the economy. Now, it's a little of both, I think, but, you know, you wouldn't know it from Apple stock price. Full disclosure, I'm short a little bit. Back to the environment, back to the data. I think the data argues for a soggy economy, and I think most of the data we can kind of rely on, uh, other than the non-farm payroll data, which is apparently what the Fed's looking at, although they're already hinting that they're going to back off, and whether that's politics or not, I don't know. Uh, in terms of Wall Street versus Main Street, I mean, I mean, to me, the Wall Street that I knew seems to hardly exist. It's just a bunch of quants and algos running around, you know, you know, trading up a storm. You know, I, I don't, I don't, it's, there's hardly such a thing, it seems like, a brokerage house research anymore. I mean, that's been an oxymoron many, many times in my career, but never more than now, it seems, I, I think. I don't, I don't think the average person is probably thinks the economy is anywhere near as good as the way the gas, the president likes to gaslight people for saying the economy is no good. And again, if the market was, was was acting the way the data sort of looks. I think the headlines and the news would be different and, and, and people would have a different opinion. So my question, um, it sounds to me like you're uh, speaking kind of negative equities, risk asset prices, you know, at least for the foreseeable future. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I, I think, well, here, let's put it this way. If it wasn't for the passive bid, I'd say the market's going down. I'd, I'd be working hard on my shorts. They'd probably be working. But this passive bid makes it so hard. So I, I can't really be short. I, I'd like to be short. I think that's the way that the market should trade, but the market doesn't behave the way I want it to. You know, I think, on the other hand, you can find individual companies that might make some sense. So the problem, though, with individual stock selection and the rifle shooting is that as the passive bid has taken market share, people that, you know, uh, individually, sorry, investment firms that, that pick stocks individually have been losing assets. And so it's a smaller subset of people looking for individual ideas. So I think you can find, you know, it's not terribly difficult to find some names you might want to be involved in, but they don't seem to work very well, unlike the, the, you know, the big dogs that get held up by the, pat, by the past bid. So I, I would color myself bearish about the stock market and bearish on the economy, although not doing much about it because it doesn't really seem like it wants to trade that way. So I have a question. Now, this is for both of you. And this is actually a favorite ask for some help because I'm giving a speech the week after next at an agriculture conference that they want just a macroeconomic view. And one of the, the crux of my speech is going to be this. And it's going to be something that I think is undercovered and should be a bigger deal. And that's Fed issue, I mean, a treasury issuance and how that's played over the last two weeks and how it can continue to play out. I think the Fed and the treasury, I keep saying it wrong, has switched to short end for two reasons, because they saw the demand there, you know, all the cash in the repo market that they've begun to suck out over the last, call it six months, plus three different times they've tried to auction off anything of duration and it has not gone well at all. So my belief is that once they drain the repo market. Once they drain the tre the uh, Treasury Direct or Fed Direct, whatever the hell that account is that they keep, that Janet Yellen likes to keep a slush fund. At that point in time, they have to go out the curve. At that point in time, the Fed has to come back in and start buying long-end bonds or else they're totally screwed because no one else is going to have the appetite that they want. At that point in time, I think assets like gold, Bitcoin, silver, and somewhere further on down that list could be stocks 
could do well in a weaker dollar. My question to you, Bill, first. Oh, no, you, Bobby, you go first. Do you think that is a good takeaway from the speech? No, I actually just want to add something to that because we have uh, like a really active viewer base. And Jimmy put out a tweet that said we had you on the show and there were some questions. And one of the person's questions was to add on to Jimmy's, um, the market's pricing in six rate cuts. So why isn't gold and silver flying? So if you want to tack that on to what Jimmy said about sure. gold. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to take the question first because it's an interesting one. People say the market's pricing in rate cuts. Now, it's not like people that are buying bonds say, well, how many, how many rate cuts do you think we're going to have? <laughs> and and, and well, I think it's four, no six, no two. I'm, I, that, what happens is everybody wants to be a hero and they want to do what Stan Druckenmiller has done so well. And everybody knows is that, okay, it's a bear market, it's a recession. We're going to buy bonds, lever up, and we'll make a killing. As you know, Stan's always said that he's made most of his money in bear markets, but it was in fixed income, not shorting stocks. So the enthusiasm level for the bond trade when it, after you know bonds got smashed, they started a rally and the Fed drops a hint. So the bond markets moved, the curves moved. So to corroborate that move would imply that rates need to be at it, that the curve needs to look differently. And that difference would mean that a certain amount of cuts need to happen to get the short end to where it needs to be to fit that. So I'm just trying to make it clear to folks that how this how this narrative comes about is just animal spirits pushing bond prices up. So um, I, and I, uh, I, Jim, I I agree with your your speech. I mean, um, the the I think the the Fed acted pretty Powell at the last press press conference, and since then they've tried to. Suggests that maybe they might, you know, back away when everyone thought that 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 Powell was going to need to see inflation prints at you know a lower number. The question is: Is this a matter of politics? I think Janelin, Janelin, Jan, that's we all Janet know who you Janelin, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's obviously playing the game, her own little version of Operation Twist, right? She's not selling longer papers; she's doing the short end. So that's what the demand was. I think your analysis of, of the problem the Treasury's in is exactly correct. Um, well, um, and and uh, if the Fed, you know, looks like it's going to walk away from QT, which is I think what you you implied, not only walk away from QT but come back with QE. I think it. certainly everything you said would happen. Um, the interesting thing would be, did would bonds get tatered right away, or would it take a little while? Um, because and and um, I'm a I I I believe that the inflation problem is not transitory. Obviously, when you had the big bulge and prices went up, that's that same rate of change is is sustainable. So we could go to zero inflation and prices are still elevated net net and not going back to where they were before. I think the attitude about wages and the and the and the political environment and, and what we've seen with a lot of the um, big union plans, um, collective bargaining um, means inflation is going to be a problem for a while. The Fed has not conquered it. They're falling in prey to the same thing that felt the Fed fell for in the 60s and 70s. People acted like Jerome Powell was the second coming Paul Volcker. I guarantee you, everybody who said that was not around in the early 80s like I was. And Powell is no, no, uh, no Paul Volcker. Having said all that, I agree with you completely that if it plays out that way, those things would happen. But I would say, I don't think, personally, I don't think we need to get to that point for gold or silver or even the, to, to do better or the dollar to weaken or even uh, um, other alternative assets to do well. I think, in other words, I don't think we need to get to that point for those things to do better. I think if that happens, They'll certainly go crazy, but I think they can do better in advance of that. Um, but I've thought that for a while and hasn't quite played out that way. I mean, gold, I, I've been bullish on gold for quite some time, and obviously it's near its all-time high. But then again, if you look at mining companies, and they have a bad name, but many of them are doing very well and are run very well, and you can't give them away. So, so one of the quitter, uh, quitter, 
One of the Twitter, I'm just going to say X. I can't even say Twitter anymore. One of the X questions we got, somebody said, good news mining stories, question mark. And I'm not sure what that means, but it seems like you started on that. So I guess I'm just going to ask you in general, what do you think about mining right now as a sector? Well, I, I've been around the mining industry for quite a while. I um, was the director of uh, Pan American Silver from the mid-90s until about 2011. I was bullish on silver and got involved with Ross Beatty, who, who um, um, was the founder of it, and it went on to be, have an extraordinarily successful mining career. Um, anyway, because I thought Greenspan's policies were going to lead to trouble and it lead to higher metals prices, and it, it did. I was way early. And I, same thing, I, I think the same thing about these policies. So the difference between the mining companies now and, say, five years ago or seven years ago or 10 years ago is um, they're all run much, much, not all. There's a lot of them that are run very well. A lot of them selling at you know, low multiples of cash flow, low multiples of earnings. A lot of them pay 2 3% dividends, which isn't so much relative to 5% treasury bills but is decent compared to the average stock. And so um, the, for the longest time, they tended to be rather expensive unless you believe that the price of gold was going to be much higher in the future. And therefore their implied uh, gold in the ground would be, would be worth more. Um, and they haven't really performed all that well, except for in spurts. And they're definitely the, you know, they're, they're a group of redheaded stepchildren for sure. Um, uh, and, uh, I think there's tremendous value. I think what'll probably happen in the metals market, again, I'm just guessing is that there's no demand in basically in North America for gold or mining stocks. You could take a look at the gold ETF and it's, it's shed somewhere around a quarter to a third of all the tonnage it's ever held when it held at its peak to here. And yet gold prices, you know, a nine iron away from a, a new record high. And that's because of foreign central banks and buying in Asia. So when something finally triggers people in America uh, or even Canada to start wanting to buy gold, it's going to go on a big, it's going to go on a big rip because it, the price is nearly at an all time high with not only no real demand in North America, but net liquidation of the biggest holders of of bullion so uh and when that ha i think i think people want to don't want to touch the miners because they're a little afraid that gold's making a top and it's just going to roll over and then the miners will get slaughtered i think when it becomes clear that gold isn't making a top and is has been building a base from which to launch higher from then there'll be a different look and these these things will put on track shoes and move a long way in a short space of time now that's my bullish interpretation. I think that's what's going to happen. But right now, I have to admit, it's just a theory on my part because it's not happening now yet. I'm even more glad to have you on the show now because it's hard for me to find someone other than Jim Bianco who agrees that inflation isn't beat yet. And we just can't fucking have him on every week. I mean, it would just be dumb to just have Jim on every single week. So I don't yeah, think it's It'd be a great show, but yeah. Know, Do you I think either don't... Bobby and I would give up the name to the Bianco show? That doesn't no. happen. No, it just <laughs> never happened. I was looking at the Mannheim data. It's a used auto data that comes out monthly. Pretty robust data on uh, used car prices. And used car prices are now down 21% from the peak, but they're still 32% higher than their pre-COVID base. And the trend over the last, say, three months or so has been off. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about that data to me is it leads durable goods by about two or three months and is correlated at like 92%. Now, it, three months does not a trend make in something like used auto data. But I find it interesting that that's happening in the winter with inflation still biting uh, at a certain level. And I'm wondering if you think goods inflation is what potentially is going to be the problem for the Fed in terms of it ramping back up again? Or do you think just services inflation is just too sticky? To have a really firm view on which one of those might be the problem, either one, both, a little some, I, I, I think it, it's really hard to say because things are so messed up and we still got this massive fiscal stimulus at work, okay. you know? Uh, uh, so yeah. I think it's really hard to say. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, when the market kind of came unstuck a little bit in 22, I think actually part of that was some reweighting from Vanguard from fixed income, sorry, from equities to fixed income that 
help give the market a chance to go down. The backdrop that we've talked about makes it so much more difficult to have a really strong view. I was start, I started to tell you that kept saying to myself, don't let yourself get too bearish because this could play out in kind of a taffy pull fashion. And I, and and so that's kind of what's happened, right? You know, there's good data, bad data. It, 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 we don't ever really we're not going to we're not going to exit this period with in a big growth phase i don't think but we keep getting growth like spurts or things that in, uh, indicate get they're getting better like the data you just suggested so i i just think it's it's a particularly tricky period because of all these different cross currents you have to be flexible about turning your opinion or your idea into a position because it's it's kind of extra tricky that, real quick, Jimmy, it's important for me to say this. I get that data from Mike Singleton over at Invictus Research. It's not we something I Mike generate Singleton. on my own. So it's important. Okay, so here's that. the point where I tell you guys that you're both wrong, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> so Bobby and I have had this argument, and all I don't want necessarily, I'm not trying to get anyone to agree, but I just wanted to know if you think it has any reasonable element to it. You mentioned Paul Volcker. Paul Volcker gets a ton of credit for slaying inflation back in the 80s. I will argue that. In mid 80s, a technology came on the scene, the internet, which was amazing in its deflationary pressure. So the question becomes, is AI anywhere in that ballpark of being a deflationary pressure that could make productivity gains? But I'm not done with the question yet, because I also believe that the Fed's rate hikes, because of the five years that preceded the first, the first hike, 10-year yields average 1.9, whatever, it gave everyone time to roll into duration, which insulated them from rate hikes immediately. So I think the long and variable lags that, who's that, Milton Freeman? What, long and variable lags were longer and more variable before we felt it. I think most of it was supply chain. So my point, my, I guess, to wind it up, do you think there's a chance that AI is a powerful enough technology to take us out of the stagflation scenario that you laid out? No. Who's first? <laughs> that's yeah, a, I'm that's no. It. Just no. Bobby, you say no too? Well, I, I, I'll give you a quick two-second answer and then give the rest of the time to Bill. Uh, not next year is my quick answer. Okay. Because now, you know, you see these earnings calls and it's just AI, AI, AI. Everybody at CES right Peak now is AI, AI, I get AI it. and okay. they're not all using it. Go ahead, Bill. First of all, my earlier part of my career, I wrote software. So I started, I, I wrote software way back in the 70s. One of the things that I think people who haven't written software, building a model doesn't count. I mean, actually writing software, don't understand how things really go. Like when Elon Musk, and, and listen, I really appreciate the fact the guy took over X and has created a medium for free speech and exposing the, the, uh, the lunacy and the corruption and the uh, uh, dictatorial that. policies of, of the present administration and the media. But when he was talking full self-driving, I knew that was complete BS. So that's kind of AI for the driver, so to speak, right? And that isn't ready for prime time, and it's not going to be. There are so many things that can go wrong. Just think about the propagation delay of you need to be in constant communication to be able to, 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 to know what's out there, right? If you look at some of the stuff that comes out of this, these um, uh, AI kernels, chat GBT, the old expression in the software business is garbage in, garbage out. So, I mean productivity and the use of software and, and, and hardware to make our lives more productive, more efficient is a real thing. It's gone on for a long time. But to think of this magic AI software is going to have everybody doing this, you know, going to be able to radically change the business world, I think is stretched way too far. My good friend, Fred Hickey, who knows a tremendous amount about technology, feels exactly the same way. Uh, not that the two of us have to be right. AI has become a way for people to try to hype their stock prices when the rest of the storyline doesn't sound too good. Do you, are you still on the bubble network or did they, did they uh, decide? I haven't. Oh, I used to know. I mean, they used to ask me, but I, I haven't gone on there in, I don't know, probably five years. I have no interest in going on. Um, but in any case, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's no, they didn't ban absurd me what they've become. I think it's, yeah. Robert? Yeah, I have to, I have a couple more questions, but I, again, we just have such a like loyal viewer base that I have to go to their questions and ask them. 
before I go to my, my next one. And if any of these you don't want to comment on, please don't. His view of spot Bitcoin ETF introduction, which by the way, somebody just texted me at the SEC's X account was hacked on the day where they're supposed to approve Bitcoin spot <laughs> ETF. But go ahead. That's one of the questions. Well, I suspect it'll be bullish for Bitcoin. The mm -hmm. question is whether or not it's a, um, you know, sell the news type of event or not. Could be. I'm not involved in Bitcoin. I never, I, I looked at it very seriously when it was about $600 and decided not to, not to get involved. So that's how smart I am about that topic. Um, having <laughs> said that, having said that, I don't have any interest in Bitcoin. You put it at a 0% probability that, not zero, but uh, it was extremely low probability that this could be something that's important. 10 years from now, despite the fact that BlackRock, Fidelity, Vanguard, not Vanguard, but uh, Wisdom Tree have started to broaden their footprint. In it. Are they just being opportunists in your mind? I, I think so. When the World Gold Council got the gold ETF rolling, it made a big difference. Huge. But gold was hard to buy. It's been easy to buy Bitcoin. People, you know, I mean, 17-year-old kids have known for a decade how to buy bit, speculating Bitcoin, right? It'll make it easier for, you know, certain institutions perhaps, but it's not going to have the same effect that, the, that like, like the, the ETF did for gold, which is something that was very diff difficult for the average person to buy or the average stock person to buy. So I don't know that it's going to have that big of an impact. I think a lot of people have felt like it would. So I think it's kind of ripe for a sell the news type trade. That doesn't mean, it's, you know, going down forever, but I mean, there could be a rather large setback afterwards. I just don't know. It's not something I, it's not on my radar screen. I don't, I don't care. I would never be short it and I don't want to be long it. So it's like, I'm just not involved. Oh, right. This is not breaking news, by the way, since this won't air for a little under a week. But uh, Bitcoin just lost about 3.7%. What the same person, and by the way, this person has a question for you as well, because he's a loyal viewer, but the person said CNBC reported uh, that the SEC had approved all Bitcoin ETFs about 30 minutes ago, and then the SEC reported that their site was hacked. So <laughs> I guess we don't really know if that's true or not. But Bitcoin is safe, I guess. So yeah, well, I mean, just just bounces around three percent within an hour or so. But you know, yeah. on the other hand, a lot of commodities bounce around pretty hard. So I mean, uh, um, anyway, yeah, drop three percent, three point seven percent, three point seven percent from its peak off of that news. So not exactly a safe haven when you lose 3% in the hiccup. Yeah. So that same person who sent me that news had a question as well. And again, you don't feel like you have to answer to the specifics here. But the question is, how do zombies like Upstart, Affirm, uh, Lemonade, and DashPay, et cetera, continue to get a bid in the market? Passive bid. Passive bid. Passive bid plus speculation. And if the speculation happens to get into the options market, uh, then that can feed on itself. But, you know, as long as these things got big market caps and so there's a certain weighting that they have. And so that Vanguard money comes in and, and then you get a squeeze going and they get nine lives or 15 lives or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's part of the market not really, not really being a market as you or my, you know, like if we want to talk a pure market, I would imagine the, if you want to talk, let's talk about commodity softs. Now, I don't know a ton about them, but, there aren't that many ETFs. I mean, those markets are supply and demand. They probably react to news. They probably trade the way they always traded. There's not a passive bid there, although there is the Goldman Sachs, you know, ETF. But a lot of them, I mean, the, what the equity market has just become so warped. It's dangerous to be short stuff. Even stuff you can tell is complete garbage. It takes forever to get it to unwind. I mean, it was always difficult to get really scammy stuff to unwind. It would all go at once. But it's really difficult now, and it's a lot of it is because of this the passive bid and the other speculation that's that's glommed onto the market, and the two of them impacting each other. But the, you you mentioned the passive bid, but I think embedded in that answer is there's still extra liquidity that's been pushed into the market with you know the eight trillion dollar COVID funds, and then whatever only a couple trillion were backed back out. So that's still a symptom of excess liquidity. Same with NFTs and all the bullshit like that. Yeah, I mean that 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 all, that's all at work. I think I think that's that liquidity factor is less important now than it was one year, sure. two years, three years ago. I, I don't think that liquidity net net is helping a firm necessarily. Right, the passive bid kind of holds it up. Then you got the dogfight, and you got people that come in and buy options on that stuff, and then you got the squeeze baskets and 
and other than in 2022, there hasn't been a real, a lot of the stuff that, that's, that's really kind of garbagey hasn't really, you know, been flushed for good. I mean, they, they, they have like nine lives. Yeah. Another one from X here. Uh, I may finally make it through a podcast instead of listening to those idiots, uh, Jim and Bob. There's somebody smart on the show. <laughs> Who is that? Who said no, that? Is that my wife? <laughs> it's not actually what he said. The person actually said they don't come much smarter or Margaret, more informative. Kill you. <laughs> they don't come much smarter or more informative than Bill. It should be a great podcast, but there is no, one I'm more. I'm flattered. Podcast. Thank you. What probability would Bill put on a bear steepener? And then I want to ask you about QE if I could. Okay. I got I to gotta remember bear steepener now. I uh, see. So that means we're going to... Deep short end rates. Curve. Yeah, short end rates go lower. I have yeah. that trade on, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I just, yeah, I, I, that the, the bear bull part is always the part that throws me because I always like, so yeah. we want the front end to come down and the, and the back end to stay flat. Yield. Yields in, yeah. in yield yeah. terms. So, you know, yeah, front end uh, rally. I know, yeah. but I always have to work out in my head which way the yield curve is going. Me too. Me too. Yeah, let's um, just go. Let's just change that the to entire steeper. yield curve is going lower, but the front end's going lower faster. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's what I, yeah, okay. So th th that, that, that'd be a reaction to easy money on the way, anticipated, weaker data, blah, blah, blah. Probability of that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that's a high probability until we get some kind of an accident, whether we get, some, we can, you know, finally get a break in the stock market. You know, you almost need an event. Let's, I'll give you one that I like. It's not going to probably happen, but Let's say Apple whiffs again on the quarter, and this time it gets smashed. I mean, it could go down 10 or 15 points. It sells at 30 times earnings. So you take, you know, 10% off the price. It's not really on sale. Be down to 25 times earnings. The market gaps, and now the, and, 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 and it goes down, and the passive bid doesn't rescue it because there's enough weight there and an, enough speculations built up, and you have a slide in the market and a couple, little bit of bad economic data, and then it gets it gets read as bad because the market's going down and bubble vision will have the, what do they call it? Markets and turmoil thing on. Oh yeah. And, yeah uh, 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 <laughs> I think you need something like that to get the fed off the dime uh, to, 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 to actually really cut. Now they can talk dovish and they could talk about pushing out. They could, they can talk dovish and let the body English be dovish, but I don't think they can really do much to cut rates without something like that, unless they are really, really political, more political than I think that they are, and wanna and and wanna try to do something to try to make sure that Biden gets reelected. Um, that would be the only other reason. So I, I think to see rate cuts anytime soon is going to require some real trouble. Otherwise, so they're you, not getting them. You think you're so you're not you you think the notion that May's the first rate hike is nonsense. Unless, of course, there's burning timbers falling from the ceiling, like you said. But you said Apple. You don't think crack, huge cracks in the labor market could be forthcoming? Um, you think that things are just going to chug along in the taffy pole, as you said? Uh, I, uh, uh, waffle along, waffle along, not really chug along. Uh, yeah, could we, get a bad, could we get a bad payroll report? Easily. Because remember, most of the data is made up in the first place. Now, when I say made up, I don't mean they're trying to say, okay, well, what number do they looking for? I don't mean made up that way. I mean the birth death concoction and that other stuff. So I have, so, uh, you know, you could get a weak, you know, you could get a weak number from that standpoint, but, and, and you could have that happen at a moment in time when, because of the base effect that the, the year over year CPI inflation doesn't look too awful and the fed could, could be want to be friendly, but to actually pull the trigger on a cut, I think you need something stronger. I mean, you need, we need some, yeah, we need some burning timbers to fall down, Jim, I think. Bob, you got okay, the last so, one? Yeah, yeah, so based off of that then, this wasn't my question, but this, I have to ask you this. If the Fed, okay, so do you know Bob Stein from First Trust? I do not. Okay, so he's a deputy chief economist at First Trust Advisor. He's coming on to our live show tomorrow. And one of the things I asked him that I'd like to speak about was, his opinion on Fed credibility and if they have any, and if it matters if they cut without any movement in, let's say, wages or the unemployment rate or any of, of the above that they've mentioned they need to see movement. In. Um, do they have credibility and do you think it matters in general and does it matter to them? I, I think I believe the folks that say that Jay Powell cares about his reputation. 
I don't think he has the nerve to do what Volker does, even though it's easy to talk a good game, you know, as long as you're not in the ring, you know, you haven't got hit in the mouth yet. Mike Tyson. Um, that's the theme of our show. We always say everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Mike yeah, Tyson, exactly. that's the theme. So yeah. I, I think he may care about his reputation. I think uh, a lot of the others are just placeholders. I don't think they believe in much of anything, really. Here's the other thing that kills me. People think that the, that the Fed knows something. Right, you know, like why are they talking about this? What are they? They don't know anything. They don't know shit. All you've got to do is look at what they have said for the last twenty or twenty-five years, and then what happened. I mean, Bernanke was completely clueless about the subprime and the real estate bubble. Greenspan said specifically, real estate could not get in a bubble because real estate wasn't arbitrageable between Portland, Maine, and Portland, Oregon. I mean, I'm not making this up. He said that. No, so they don't they don't know anything. And if you have any doubt, go read the Fed transcripts. I don't mean the minutes. I mean, the transcripts that get released after five years. I don't I don't think they have any special knowledge. And you can kind of see from them that they just kind of flail around. And look, they have been the cause of tremendous amounts of financial dislocation and misallocated capital in the last 25 years. And they're still held up with some reverence, which is completely mind-blowing to me. So I have a very low opinion of the Fed, and I have very low opinion of their, their ability to get things right. I kind of got off on a tangent. That wasn't what you asked me. but No, but that's, that's one of our themes, too, that recurs here, too, because I agree with you 100%. Bobby says he's tired of bashing the Fed. I think I'm just getting started. These guys are academics that are absolutely clueless. They are the worst prognosticators, not just of the, the macroeconomic condition, but of their own movements anywhere further than three weeks out. They don't know what they're doing. No. But anyway. No. They don't yeah, want to wrap it up. I'm just exhausted of it. I'm just like, okay, the Fed sucks. I get it. It's like being a Bears fan. Then I'll do your fan. part. I'm it's just like being a Bears it. fan. It's just exhausting. Oh, stop just with that. <laughs> over them. Absolutely over them. Yeah. All right, Bill, thank you so much. Where can the fellas find you? Uh, at um, at FleckCap on Twitter. And you yep. and, my, like and, and my website is FleckensteinCapital.com.